This is the Artisan CEO Podcast, Season 3, Episode 4. On this episode, we'll be talking about travel hacks for brand photographers. We'll be covering both the best and the worst practices that I've found for traveling long distances for client work, and I'll be answering the question, how do I make sure I arrive with all my gear in tow and intact? Welcome to the Artisan CEO, where the art of photography meets the business of profits. This is where strategy and craftsmanship coexist so that you can run a creative business that supports a life you love. I'm your host, Abby Grace, and I promise to give it to you straight. It was 2013, and I had been in Santa Barbara for a few days for a leader's retreat that was hosted by my website platform, Show It. Shout out to Show It. We love them. Um, My flight home had been a red eye because I was like, I don't want to pay for an extra night at a hotel. I'll just take an overnight flight. And I had taken my laptop out at the beginning of the flight to do a bit of editing on the way home. And then I stowed it under the seat to try to get a bit more sleep for the remainder of the red eye. So I stumbled off the airplane, made it home, and proceeded to have a very normal next few days. Until 72 hours after my flight, when I realized that I had left my laptop under the seat on the plane. I legitimately almost threw up when I realized my mistake, like frantically crying and like urgently called United and lost, lodged a missing item report, but I had a feeling that I was never going to see that laptop again. Spoiler alert, I never saw that laptop again. Thank the Lord that for some reason I had removed my hard drive from that laptop sleeve before I put it under the seat, so I still had the files that I had been working on, but that $2,000 laptop was gone. I never heard back from the airline, which... Can we talk about the fact that that's weird? Like, you know a cleaning crew came through and found that computer. What, Like, what is the point of seat assignments if not for keeping track of where people sit so that you can help them track down a very expensive lost item when they leave it under their seat? That still grinds my gears, and it has been almost 10 years at this point. I need to let it go. <laughs> Even with the mishaps, traveling for photography work is fun. I love traveling. And it's a topic that always comes up in conversations with other photographers. How can I travel more for my work? So I answered that specific question of how to book more travel shoots in season two, episode three. So today's episode is a bit of a follow-up to that one. So once you've got your travel sessions booked, now the question is, how do we make sure that we get there in one piece and with all of the things that we intended to leave with? (laughs) I travel a lot for my work. Roughly 70% of my brand shoots require a flight and or hotel stay. Last year alone saw me in Spain and Canada, uh, Iowa, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Texas, and Connecticut. I think that's all of them. Um, So I've spent a lot of time in transit and I'm no stranger to flying with gear. I have also, as you just heard, made quite a few mistakes, quite a few expensive mistakes as well over the years. And I've caused myself more than a fair amount of stress as a result. So today's episode is meant to save you the heartache that I have experienced with my best advice for traveling with photography gear. This is something we get asked a lot about with our students in Brand Photography Academy. So we're going to start with best practices here. I've got a bunch of these. So if you have a trip coming up, take notes. Um, But like, mental notes. You know, if you're normally doing what I'm normally doing when I'm listening to a podcast, which is either running or driving, neither of which is conducive to note-taking. Anyway, moving on. Best practices, okay? Take those mental notes. Best practice number one, purchase a gear bag that can be checked. And what I mean by checked is trashed by baggage handlers, because you guys know they are not careful with those things. (laughs) I used to cram everything into a carry-on photography bag and a photography backpack, 
which inevitably required leaving some stuff at home due to a lack of space. And let me just say that triaging your equipment feels like trying to choose a favorite child. Like I didn't want, I want to have any piece of gear on set that I imagine I might need, not just the gear that I think I'll use the most. So maybe I'm not going to use that macro for 50% of my session, but if I need it for 10% of my session, I don't want to have to leave it at home just because it's going to be used less than the other lenses. I still need it. I generally bring professional lights, backup cameras, and multiple lenses to every shoot, but limited space when I was limiting myself to just the carry-on, like a a roller carry-on bag and then a backpack, it meant that I had to pare down my equipment and it always felt like a bit of a gamble. And it was also really stressful when getting onto a small regional plane because my carry-on size think tank gear bag does not fit into smaller overhead bins. So when the gate agent makes that announcement that bags are going to need to be checked and picked up a plane side, that meant that I had to sit at the gate and pull all of my gear out of the protective, expensive photography bag that I had, and then I had to hold it in my lap for flights on smaller planes. Side note, if you do have to go that route, make sure that you have a sturdy canvas bag tucked into your carry-on so that if you have to remove all of your gear to check your photography bag, you can load your lenses and your cameras, anything fragile, put those into the canvas bag and then slide that canvas bag under the seat in front of you. I have a pink gingham bag that's really hard to lose from L.L. Bean and that comes with me anytime I'm bringing a carry-on bag for gear for that exact purpose. And we will link to all any of the, the pieces that I name in this episode here. We're going to link to all of those in the show notes. Real quick, photographers, are you tired of lather, rinse, and repeating the same tired collection of forgettable photos from one brand session to the next? If you're ready to turn yawn-worthy galleries into the sort of results that thrill your clients and get you both noticed, then you're definitely going to want to join me for my free training, The Backstage Secret to Scroll-Stopping Brand Photography. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or you're just getting started out in the world of branding, this session is for you. I'll teach you my number one strategy for crafting stories that resonate with your clients and their audience, which is the biggest secret behind creating galleries that not only look stunning, but also drive engagement and sales for your clients, which, spoiler alert, is what keeps them coming back for additional sessions in the future. Because as brand photographers, purposeful matters more than pretty, but who says you can't have both? Our job is to think like a marketer and shoot like an artist, but you have to have both pieces of that equation. And learning to approach with the mindset of a strategist, that changes everything. So if you're raring to say goodbye to cliche galleries that simply repeat what's already clogging your Pinterest and social media, and hello to a method that drives brand loyalty and real bottom line growth, then head on over to abbygrace.co slash training. That's abbygrace.co slash training. It's time to leave those forgettable, smiling at a laptop photos in the dust in favor of a more tailored approach that's gonna leave your clients obsessed and already planning for their next shoot with you. One more time, that's abbygrace.co slash training. I'll see you in class. So these days, I travel almost every time with the Pelican Air 1615, It is a large photography bag, so that gets checked and put under the plane, but it's a hard side bag with thick foam padding that I have cut to fit my lenses, my lights, and my cameras so that everything is secure. That stuff does not move once it gets into that bag. The bag was not cheap. It was, I had a price check. It was either four or $500, But that Pelican bag allows me to bring everything that I need to do my job without having to compromise for the sake of space or weight limits. 
I can check that bag and have complete peace that my gear is going to be fine when I arrive. I've never had anything damaged inside that bag. All the batteries get removed from cameras and lights because lithium. And then I pack those batteries in my Think Tank Shape Shifter backpack. Again, we're going to link those in the show notes. And that backpack comes on the plane with me along with my laptop, my card reader, and then any reading materials that I want with me. Common thread here, that backpack is also pricey. I bought it at WPPI in like 2015 and I stood there on the showroom floor agonizing over whether to buy it because paying 250 or 300, I think it was 250, paying 250 for a backpack was like borderline painful, but I've had mine since 2015 and it's still in great condition. So Think Tank products are pricey, but they're worth it because they last for a really long time. I also have a light stand bag with rollers that gets checked. It's about the size of a ski bag. Um, I don't have a link for that one because I think we bought it at our local camera shop and there's no label attached to it, but we'll link to a similar one in the show notes. And that bag is what houses my light stands, my soft boxes, and a few odds and ends that won't fit into my Pelican bag. Prior to flying with the light stand bag, if that's not an option or you you don't use lighting equipment enough that it makes sense to buy a light stand bag, um, I used to fly with two smaller light stands. I think they were 10-foot stands when fully extended, and those could fit diagonally into a standard checked bag. My personal items like clothing, toiletries, shoes, and stuff, those get put into a hard side carry-on bag that can be checked plain side if the aircraft has those smaller overhead bins. Best practice number two, if you fly frequently, sign up for an airline credit card. I'm obviously not a financial advisor, but the cost of the annual fee is more than worth it when you consider the cost of baggage if you are a frequent flyer. I fly with two checked bags, typically two gear bags, which would cost me $80 each way or $160 total per trip. I think we pay $450 a year for my United card, and that gives me two bags for free, plus United Club admission, which means that I always have a place to go before my flight to grab coffee and snacks, which honestly like saves me on incidental fees. Um, And that's assuming obviously that the airport has a club. The airport closest to our house has several United Clubs, which is part of how we chose the United card. If you're looking at getting an airline card, check to see which um, clubs are present at the, the airport that you're most likely to fly out of. That was a contributing factor. Like Dulles is a United hub, so it's part of why we chose it. My clients are billed for my travel, so that $160 that we were having to bill my clients for for my baggage fees is no longer a concern, which then you might be thinking, okay, so you just like ate the cost of the annual credit card fee? Yes, but an easy way to handle that concern is to have one rate for local shoots and then a slightly higher rate for travel shoots. That higher fee covers some of those once a year costs like the credit card fee. And it also helps to compensate for the additional time out of your office. More on that in a couple of minutes. I don't want you to stop there because there is more on that in a few minutes. Other perks of that card, and this is not a sponsored episode. I'm just like, how did I go so long without knowing that all of these things were available to me? But another perk of the card is that I get to board in boarding group two, which means there is never an issue of overhead baggage space running out. You guys know what I'm talking about when you're you're in like group three or four and before they even begin boarding it's a full flight and the gate agent starts making announcements about how they're looking to take some volunteers who who want to check their bag and you start getting jumpy and you're like channeling greg Fokker from meet the parents like the only way you're going to get this bag is if you come over here and pry it out of my cold lifeless fingers that's how i feel it, i start to get very competitive and i like inch up to try to get in line before they officially announce so just shortcut all of that <laughs> 
with an airline card that gives you priority boarding, saves you from that particular brand of drama. Best practice number three, also for frequent flyers, is TSA PreCheck. I have saved so much time in line with this. <laughs> and honestly, it saves me from stressing pre-flight as well because even if the line for security is long, I know it's going to be faster than standing in the regular line. Like Not having to take off shoes or laptops or backpacks is also a perk and keeps that line moving faster. We also have global entry, which was like not that much more expensive to get. And I think you only have to pay for it once every five years. And that makes security a breeze when you're coming back through customs from international travel. I have staunchly refused to sign up for Clear because I'm annoyed that they've created a new tier of elitism and speed when I thought that TSA PreCheck was supposed to accomplish that. But maybe that's just me being immature. I'm just saying, like, it bugs me when I'm standing in the TSA PreCheck line and the Clear folks get to butt in front of our line. Like, no cuts, no butts, no alligator guts. Unless you pay $189 a year for Clear, apparently. Blech. Anyway, best practice number four. Book your flight with enough margin before the shoot to allow for delays. This is a big one. I do my best to avoid booking the last flight out at night if my shoot is the following morning. Firstly, because I don't want to arrive exhausted. But secondly, because if there's any kind of flight cancellation, I likely won't be able to rebook until the following day. This also helps with baggage delays. I had a flight this past January where both of my bags containing all of my gear were left in Denver during my short layover while I continued on to my final destination of Oklahoma City. But because there were two more flights from Denver to OKC scheduled for that night, meant my bags came in overnight and then I was able to retrieve them the following morning before the shoot. Obviously, it's not an ideal situation. I didn't want to have to go back to the airport to get my bags, but it was better than being left without any of my gear. Which leads me to best practice number five, Put an air tag in your gear bag, especially if that bag is going to be checked. This way you can keep tabs on your equipment without waiting for the airline to alert you when something's been left behind. Because I have an air tag in my Pelican bag, I could tell while I was sitting on the tarmac in January in Denver that there was no way that my bag was going to make it onto that flight. Like I could watch it in the like find my iPhone app. I could watch it being driven to the other side of the, the terminal. Like what is happening? <laughs> So after taking a couple of minutes to panic and trying not to cry, I then called my husband and then my assistant to explain what was going on, and they were able to communicate with each other. So by the time I landed in Oklahoma City, we had a complete backup plan in place that we thankfully didn't end up needing. But without that tag, I wouldn't without the air tag, I wouldn't have found out that my bag was delayed until after I arrived at my final destination, which was late enough that all of the local camera shops would already be closed for the night. So that air tag allowed me to stay a couple of steps ahead of United Airlines. Best practice number six, make sure you're charging appropriately. Travel is fun. Yes, it is so much fun but it also requires more from you. A travel shoot requires at least two days out of the office. And even though I'm able to work from the airport and on the plane, it's not the same level of productivity as when I'm home at my desk. There's also an increased load put on my husband Matt's shoulders. He's solo parenting for the time that I'm gone. And then there's also the impact to his productivity since he's handling both kids and all the meals and errands and walking our dog, all of that. There's also the cost of food when you're traveling and then baggage fees if you don't have the airline credit card. There's parking, Ubers, and all those little extras that add up, like the trips to Target to pick up whatever you forgot at home. 
We let my clients know that they are responsible for the cost of travel, including flights, rental car slash rides, and hotel. And then instead of calculating the cost of individual meals and adding up um, receipts or like items from our from my credit card statement, we simply bill per diem to keep things simple, which covers my food and my assistant's food. But the extra time spent, that's where it's up to you to make sure that your rates are covering that. Because as fun as travel is, the glamour and the excitement of it starts to wear off when you realize that your travel shoots are actually costing you a lot because you forgot to account for the extra day or two out of the office, which is 40% of your work week, by the way. I don't like the idea of billing separately for an out-of-office fee, which I know some photographers do. So instead, that's just rolled into the standard pricing that you see on my website. Best practice number seven, have a standard travel checklist on a note on your phone. This way you don't have to waste time compiling a list every time you're packing for a trip or packing by memory and hoping that you don't forget anything. And then you run the risk of forgetting contact solution again. Just take the time to write out a list of all of the toiletry items that you use daily to at one time and then keep that either on a Google Doc or a note on your phone and run through your checklist as you pack. Even better if you can compile a travel kit with duplicates of all of your daily essentials so you can simply grab and go. I have duplicates of most of my makeup items, but there are a couple that I refuse to buy a second of. Like it takes me months to get through a single tube of mascara. I'm I'm not buying another one of those. Actually, most of the time it dries out before I manage to use up all of it. So I'm not buying a second one. That's wasteful. <laughs> I'll just transfer it. Okay, best practice number eight. For those who travel a lot, choose a standard travel outfit and wear it every time. Maybe this is just me. I, I hate deciding on what to wear on the plane. I want something that's breathable in case it's hot on board, but I also want layers in case it's cold. And then my outfit also needs to be presentable enough that if I run into a client or make a connection at the airport, I don't look like a total slob. In the past, I've worn the same pair of olive green linen joggers on almost every flight along with a loose black breathable top and white leather sneakers with a denim or a canvas field jacket on top. But one of my clients recently made me aware of these leggings from Athleta that I'm obsessed with. They're called the Stellar Tight, and I will never travel in anything else from now on. You can still find them on Poshmark. Thank you to my stylist and best friend, Catherine, for turning me on to that particularly addictive app. Uh, and they're super sleek and comfortable, but they're still presentable enough that if I have to go directly from the airport to a client's house, which actually happened last week in Texas, if I have to go for a quick walkthrough or I'm meeting my client for dinner or drinks, I don't need to change before I get there. Best practice number nine, make sure you have business insurance that will cover your gear if anything gets lost or stolen. Remember that MacBook Pro, RIP? That instance happened like a week before I was due to fly out for a destination wedding in Puerto Rico, and I really needed to have a computer with me for that. So we called my insurance, it was Hill and Usher at the time, and getting a replacement was stupid easy. They told me to go to the Apple store and pick out and purchase my new computer, and then send them the receipt, and they sent a reimbursement check for the amount minus my deductible, which I think was $250. And it, and it came in like two days, it was so fast. So yes, it sucked to lose that $250, but it was a heck of a lot better than having to shell out a full $2,000 of my own money for a replacement laptop. All right, those are all my best practices. Now for the worst practices. Worst practice number one, flying through Moscow just to save $200. Especially now in this political climate where Americans are being advised not to go to Russia. I did this once, I think it was 2015, so, you know, pre-warning. Um, I did it on my way to Paris and no, just no. Just don't do it. It's not worth the money I saved because it added on half a day of extra time in transit, which meant that I arrived even more tired than usual after a red-eye international flight 
And add to that, the Moscow airport wasn't exactly an enjoyable experience. So when you're booking flights, you've got to account not just for the price, but for the convenience. I know now, especially when we're talking about long international hauls, that, and especially when it's overnight, that paying a bit extra to get a direct flight is worth the cost to arrive less exhausted and more ready to hit the ground running. Plus, the more layovers you have, the more likely your bag is to be lost in transit. So if at all possible, I book direct flights. And this is even more important if you are planning for a shoot on the same day that you will arrive. During that flight to Paris via Moscow, (laughs) I was operating like a goofball and I had a shoot planned for that afternoon. So it's like I got into Paris at like 1 p.m. If I'd taken a direct flight, I would have gotten in at like 6 a.m. So I got in at like 1 p.m. It took me an hour and a half to get to my Airbnb and I had like 30 minutes to sit and just do nothing before I had to get back out of the Airbnb to go to a shoot, an editorial shoot. So just, just book the direct flight. All right, worst practice number two, putting any piece of technology anywhere other than the main bag that you're carrying it in like a laptop under your seat. I feel like we've explored enough about that already. No need to pour more salt in the wound. Worst practice number three, bringing your main external hard drive on a trip. I left a solid state drive, which is like a more secure version of like a normal external hard drive, also way more expensive. Um, So I left that on a flight home. I think it was actually the same trip where my baggage was left in Denver on my way to Oklahoma City. I think maybe that trip was cursed now that I'm thinking about it. I'm, so, I'm still not sure how it happened with the hard drive thing. Like, I'm almost sure I put it back in my bag. I'm normally really, really careful with that. I can't imagine that I left it in the seat back pocket, but maybe. I mean, it's not here, so it's not, it's it was somewhere on that plane. So I panicked when I opened my bag the next morning and saw that it was missing. Fortunately, all of my professional work is backed up on a NAS. It's a network attached storage. We've got that here at home. It's duplicate hard drive system. So you you load your files onto the NAS and then there's a duplicate drive in there. So you've got two copies on the physical drive and then it also backs up to the cloud. Um, but my family photos that were on my solid state drive were not as backed up. They were not, they had not been backed up in a while. And so I lost some of the images of my kids from this fast this past fall. Um, and you factor that into the cost of replacing the solid state hard drive, which is not cheap. I think they're like $150 each, whatever, whatever the one is that we got. So anyway, make sure to keep your expensive or hard to replace technology in the bag that you are carrying it in and then double or triple check that you've got everything before you get off the plane. Look in the seat back pocket, look under your seat, look under the seat in front of you. (laughs) After that particular gaffe, I stopped using external hard drives as my main backup. We've been using the NAS for years, but I had been complacent about backing up my photos, which then resulted in gaps when it came to my backed up file. So nowadays, I treat my external solid state drive as a travel drive, and I use it only for whatever project I am currently in the midst of editing. And then the raw files are always backed up to the NAS. And then as soon as a project gets delivered, that folder gets deleted from the travel drive, which means making 100% sure that the entire folder containing the raws, the Lightroom catalogs, and the final JPEGs, all of those are backed up in the NAS. So the moral of the story here is don't bring your main working backup out of your house. Or at least that's my rule moving forward. Worst practice number four, not checking your passport's expiration date when booking flights. I'm not sure about what policies are in the rest of the world, but I know that you cannot travel to anywhere in the European Union if your passport is due to expire within six months of your travel dates. 
Fortunately, I learned that lesson when my parents showed up to the airport for a flight to France a few years ago, and they had to push their flights to the next day so they could instead drive up to Delaware to get a same-day appointment at a passport office so my mom could get a new passport made, which is not the way that you want to begin your travel. In 2021, we booked flights for Spain for a shoot. One of my clients is based out there. And because we had been waiting on the Spanish border to open up after COVID restrictions, it meant that my travel was only booked like six weeks before the shoot. My passport needed to be renewed, which I know in hindsight, I should have done that months before as a precaution when nobody was traveling and the passport offices probably weren't slammed, but c'est la vie. And then all of the passport offices in 2021 were either closed or there weren't any appointments available because everyone was doing exactly what I was doing. Like, Europe is starting to open their borders. We should travel. Oh no, my passport's out of date. I've got to apply for a rush fee. So I ended up needing to call my senator's office, props to Senator Mark Warner's team for being on the ball with that one. And they got me the appointment that I needed, which only resulted in our travel being delayed by a day. TLDR here, check your passport expiration date. And even if you don't anticipate flying, if you're due for a renewal within the next six months, just go ahead and submit the paperwork now so that you don't have to turn down any last minute international opportunities that could present themselves. Worst practice number five, Booking the cheapest seats without looking to see whether they include a carry-on item. These are often the flight prices that you'll see if you're looking on a booking site like Kayak. United calls it basic economy, and it doesn't include a carry-on bag. It's just a personal item. So just pony up the extra money for that regular economy seat because you're going to end up paying more to check your carry-on bag once you get to the airport. If you've got the travel bug and you're itching to do more work outside your hometown or state, go listen to season two, episode three for my best advice on how to book more travel work. And I'd love to ask you for a favor. If you've been enjoying this podcast, would you take a moment to leave a review? Not because I want you to say a bunch of nice things about me, but because those reviews help other photographers who are just like you to know if this show is the right fit for them and should they take the time to give it a try. I think this might be be the first time I've asked for reviews, maybe the second, but it's not something we do often. Won't do it again for another couple of months. So if you've never written a review, we would love for you to take a moment to do that. Coming up in the next episode, we'll be talking about the five best investments I've made in my business. I'll be sharing where I've spent the best money and why, how it's paid off, and the big investments we're prioritizing this year. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode and head over to abbygrace.co slash podcast for even more resources to help you blow your clients away at your very next brand shoot. I'm Abby Grace and I'll see you next time. Now, let's go get after it, shall we?